Before we get going this week, I thought I'd just remind you that I'm a certified business strategist who's been in property for over 25 years. I know my clients shortcut their success by being laser focused through strategy and mentoring, as no one business model fits us all because funding, geography, skill set, it all plays a part in deciding what works for you. Getting it wrong can definitely damage your wealth. If you're serious about property, then your first step is a call with me. Nothing more difficult than following the link in the show notes to book it. Hello, and welcome to the Property Solopreneur podcast, a show for property investors and developers who want to build and grow their own profitable businesses. I'm sharing with you my decades of property experience and interviewing many other successful property people who are happy to share their varied and priceless knowledge freely. Business doesn't need to be hard, and nor do you need to be lucky. But as a certified strategist, I know you need a plan to work to. And a good start is by listening to other people's successes and failures. Why reinvent the wheel? This allows us to have a more in-depth knowledge of the wider property world. Welcome to this week's episode of The Property Solopreneur. And we all know that property can be owned or leased and perhaps run as a rent-to-rent, but it doesn't matter what you do with it, it'll only be successful if it's treated like a business. Now, Sophie Foote, my guest today, started with rent-to-rent, but she's now started to buy them both for herself and for investors. And you can only do that if you're getting it right. Our conversation was less about scatter cushions and in-vogue paint colours and more about the business side of it. Many of my mentees are amazed, frankly, when they first start working with me because I insist on good business practice. It's less about the property and more about the business and the cash flow and how it all works together. Basic business knowledge is required to work to be successful in property because there's often tricky cash flow to navigate. You know, there seems to be an awful lot quite often going out rather than coming in. You know, mindset issues to overcome, to say nothing of upgrading your skill set or increasing your network of like-minded people. This doesn't come naturally to everybody. Now, I work one-to-one and in accountability groups with property people who want to up their game, you know, to work smarter, not harder. That's a very true phrase. Um, who want to knuckle down and achieve. It's hard to do this on your own. And if this interests you, go to my website, racheltroughton.com, and I spell my name with an A-E-L at the end of Rachel, and book a discovery call with me or take the plunge and book a strategy session with me so we can get your business either scaling or working correctly to create the results you want. Now, go into any property networking meeting room and you'll find everyone is doing their own thing, even, say, within the genre of HMOs. It's very individualistic. HMOs are not a modern phenomena. They've been around forever, perhaps not in today's format, but they've always been, and I think always will be, an essential part of the housing market. They're a great cash flow business model if run correctly. Now, when I was in Stoke-on-Trent, I was asked to help a landlord with a very large HMO to fill it, to get it back on its feet. He was upgrading his tenant type from what he was used to. And with the upgrade, he thought he would have an uplift on the rent. It didn't go well. Running a successful HMO is more than just making sure that you've hit all the legal requirements because marketing and customer service are absolutely key. I use the photos he gave me to advertise his property as how not to examples. Sterile rooms, heavy brown furniture, still in its polycine instead. There wasn't a whiff of, of linen or a fun duvet cover. No pictures on the wall 
and not a lick of vibrant colour anywhere. The biggest problem was actually him and his mindset, completely closed to any ideas. And he had an under, a, a misunderstanding of why people want to live in an HMO. He viewed his tenants as being unable to live in a proper home, not being able to afford it, not being able to want to. They were somehow less than proper tenants. And it really did show in the product he was marketing. Well, this is not a problem for Sophie. Her rooms are in great demand. Well, Sophie, welcome to the Property Solopreneur. For those who've not seen you, either in person or on social media, who are you and what do you do? (laughs) Thank you for having me. My name is Sophie Foote. Uh, My background is scuba diving. I've lived and worked all over the world and ended up buying a beach in Indonesia and building my own scuba diving resort. Had my two kids out there and then we moved back uh, about six years ago now to the UK and I fell into property. I now specialize in HMOs in Southampton. And we started off in rent to rent. We built a bit of a portfolio there. And we now do HMO conversions and a few other interesting projects. <laughs> well, absolutely. that, and, and it's been a progression, hasn't it? And one of the things that somebody said to me, well, she'd only been in this, in this business about five minutes. What does she know? And I said, but I think you'll find she's had businesses. And that is a key, isn't it, to being successful in property? Do you think that's helped you? Yes, I do. I think that there's a lot of property courses around. So you can do a two or three day course and then jump into it. But I think the people that are successful have got backgrounds in marketing, sales, finance and cash flow is a really important one. Um, and because property is a business, you know, everything has to slot in and be profitable at the end of the day. It's also can be quite a long game. So you're planning the next project while you're in one, your cash flow can be up and down like a roller coaster. So <laughs> to have those skills of resilience and determination and drive, as well as the figures and the marketing and the sales and skills like that, I think really help. Yes, but it's quite interesting because if some people get, when you start to say that, get the wrong end of the stick. So I've been arguing with various people on social media who will go, you know, yes, it is a, it primarily it's, it's a business like any other business, but actually it's not because you're dealing with people and people in properties, even though they're tenants, they're not bags of pasta. So I think in order to be successful in property, you have to be even better probably than the average business person because you've got a third party that can foul everything up, haven't you? Yes, that's true. I mean, in Indonesia, we were very much guest driven. So we'd have a knock on the door at 10pm asking for a towel or even people so high maintenance, they would ask us that the sea was too loud and what could we do about that? (laughs) That's why I don't do service accommodation. But you're right. Yeah, we do have tenants and I've seen how people can deal with tenants. And I think ultimately they're our customer. So we try and provide good service and give them a good, comfortable, clean place to live. You do get issues coming up. I'm sure we've all got lots of stories of tenants. But I think if you, yeah, if you are a people person and you're focused on customer service, then that is really important as well. But you've also, you know, most people I think are now starting to squeak about the fact that interest rates have gone very high for them. I mean, it was it's lower now than it was when I first came into property. But this has made them go, well, I've got to raise my rents. I've got to do this because otherwise I'm not all right. And to a certain degree, you can see that point. But this is, you are dealing with other people's lives. And everybody thought like that. We'd be legislated out of the corner, really, wouldn't we? Yeah, 
And and it was an interesting fact today on the national news that this Peterborough has popped up. We all know Peterborough. Peterborough has popped up going its place with the worst kind of landlords and there should be some sort of licensing. And I'm thinking, but there are heaps and heaps and heaps of laws about what you can and can't do as a landlord. They, you know, people should get that sort of legislated and sorted out by the council first before they introduce something new. What did you find when you first got into property was the biggest stumbling block with the rules and regulations? Well, I like to learn. I'm kind of a bit nerdy. So the more I learned about HMOs, the more I got into it. So amenity standards are really big for me. I'm on every council's website just learning them. Is it HHRS? There's so many H's involved. But that's a massive document. And I was reading through that going, oh, trip hazards, damp, you know, all the things. Isn't it fascinating? Yes. (laughs) Yes. But it's also kind of common sense, you know, to to make a safe home that doesn't have loads of damp or slippery uh, ice hazards and slip hazards and heating, you know, adequate heating. It's just common sense. So I, I think if you aim for a high service level, then you should be covering most of your bases. But it is important to know and keep updated. And it's easy to do that. Just become a member of the NRLA or something like that. And you can keep your finger on the pulse. And I think the you know the landlords in the press are the bad ones <laughs> for good reason. Yes. But that's what, when you think of a landlord, that's probably what most people think of, the rogue landlords. Yes. And, and my word, can they be rogue? I once found a landlord, I was trying to buy one of his houses, and um, he'd replaced all the glass and all the windows with Perspex because it was cheaper. Ah. I know, that was quite a good one. <laughs> so yeah, I didn't buy his house because that was going to be quite a quite a, um, a sort of expense to do when it looked like a perfect house. Yeah. There we are. Um, so as you said, you first started off, you, you predominantly do HMOs with rent to rent. Mm. Why did you get into rent to rent to start with? Well, my journey into the property industry, I think I did a property development in Indonesia, even though I didn't really realise, but I was building a lot there. Came back to the UK and had a marketing job and things like that, and the pandemic messed them up. And I just wanted my own business again. And I actually looked at different franchises because you get a lot more support. And I found this franchise called Rooms, which I'm now in, and they are rent to rent HMO. And I I hadn't heard of this stuff before. You know, when you're not in the property industry, you don't hear all these terms and acronyms. But I had more conversations with them. And it's it's a nice business model. And it teaches you a lot. It's a huge learning journey. So you start with the sourcing, the marketing, the agents, the landlords. You learn the compliance because it's important to know the licensing, the planning permission, the Article 4. You learn the basic standards of HMOs. You learn how to dress the rooms and market them. And there's a huge amount of management that goes on. And the people that do rent to rent badly don't last very long. It's if you're doing it at a good level, you can sustain a really good business model because you're making a a minimum profit margin. You're actually improving properties. You're working with most of our landlords are quite tired, as we like to classify them. (laughs) They just can't be bothered anymore. They'll give you a rubbish old student HMO that's a bit moldy and a bit rotten and they're not achieving much rent for and you can refurb it you know we do spend a lot of money on the refurbs but it means we're adding value to their house we're taking all their problems off their hands and we're now operating that as part of our business so the risks are with us but the rewards are with us as well so that taught me so much about HMO management HMO sourcing I got to know lots of agents And that kind of led on to, you know, buying HMOs, sourcing conversions for investors, working with build teams. And we still have those rent to rents as well. 
And yeah, because those are primarily your your babies, aren't they? Regardless of what anything else is happening. But from what I'm hearing there, you've just blown apart this concept of got no money and you wanted to go into property, rent to rent. You can do with no money because clearly that's not the business model you've wanted to do. No. And I think it's, you know, there's a lot of people out there selling courses and I think selling courses is quite a good way to make money (laughs) because you can get hundreds of people in a room, make a few grand on each person, send them on their way and not be accountable for if it works for them or not. And I don't know, some, some of the training out there is really good. Some of it's really bad. I think most of it's unregulated, so it's a complete minefield, but it means that the whole rent-to-rent sector has got a massive credibility issue because so many people can just get into it and say, oh, I'll rent your house off you and I'll re-rent it out and that'll probably make me some money without thinking about the maintenance, the voids, the cleaning, the gardening, the refurb that you'll have to do. We did get... That's quite a little list. Yes. So... It's not the cheap man's option. No, it's not. You can't be successful if you're not willing to invest some money into it. No. And as you say, there's an awful lot of rules and regulations. And you operate out of Southampton, don't you, which is an Article 4 area. And to most people, they would hear the words Article 4 and go, can't do it. That's a no. But that's not so, is it? Yeah, I mean, there are thousands of HMOs in Southampton. It's got two universities, hospitals, it's got the airport, the port. It's a really thriving place for both students and young professionals. Um, and there's the ho- the social housing sector as well. So there's loads of HMOs. There is Article 4, which prevents unlimited HMOs, but there are certain places where you could still build one within the parameters of planning. And I think my mission is to improve the standard of HMOs because at the moment we've got a a cost of living crisis where a lot of young people would prefer to live in a really nice house share than spend all their money on a flat with all the bills and the council tax and things like that. But also it's so lonely, isn't it? When when you're out of uni or you're out of school, you've got to build a network of people and friends. And if you've got to buy your own place, that does pin you down. Or even as you take a flat, you spend all your money sitting on your own. Whereas if you've come out, as I said, of uni, you're used to people being around. So you're creating something that people actually want. I think it's possibly the problem that many people don't realise that this is a really valuable part of the housing market. Yes, it is. And um, I think people who say that landlords shouldn't be using property as a business or, you know, things like that, you know, it's needed. If there weren't these HMOs, if there wasn't the rental market, there'd be a massive gap. Yeah, so it's very much needed. And and actually, there's always been HMOs. I mean, you know, Charles Dickens talked about HMOs, only that there was always a little old lady who lived in the basement and, and dealt with it. We do those now without the old lady living in the basement. So you know, it's with us forever. It's about what people can provide. What is the difference, looking in from the outside, between a student HMO and a professional HMO? Because these people can often be the same age group. Mm. Well, the students tend to all know each other really well move as a group (laughs) and socialise a lot together. And actually, you'll find that some councils require less fire compliance if you're um, renting to a group on an AST than individual ASTs because they think that professionals don't move as a group and they wouldn't all save each other in a fire. (laughs) You need individual fire alarms in each room and fire doors and things, which is what we put in everything. But our houses do tend to be quieter 
people come and go. They might have a job or two jobs. They might work different hours. We have a lot of shift workers. So when I view houses and if there's students, there might be having a nap at two in the afternoon. (laughs) There might be Christmas decorations in July. (laughs) There's certainly a student (laughs) vibe when you walk into a student house. Whereas if you walk into our houses, we we have a cleaner that goes every two weeks because we want to keep them nice and clean. That's something I've heard from other very successful property um, HMO uh, people. Many would say, but that's an added expense. How does that add to your bottom line? I mean, the cleaner, I'd much rather pay for a cleaner, which costs me, you know, 60 or 80 quid a month to go twice a week. And not only do they keep it clean, but they're also a set, another set of eyes on the property. So they can say yeah. to us, oh, this is starting to happen, whether it's black mold or overfilled bins or something like that. And we can act on that really quickly. So that, again, helps us keep the standards really high. Yes, that, that does make perfect sense. And also, of course, students, to a certain degree, often have never lived at home before, out of home before. And they really do think there is such a thing as the recycling fairy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sadly, there isn't. Yeah, I mean, we get professionals like that as well. You know, you get one house that's totally clean and another house where we're always sending bin reminders and putting up a bin rotor. And it's just, you know, it's they're all just humans and you can't tell people how to live. So some people are naturally a bit more messy. So that's why we have cleaners. <laughs> I know that you've got a great friend. You do talk a lot about adding value to a property. What is adding value in your eyes? Is it just how it looks or is it structural or a combination of the two? I think if you're doing rent to rent, it's important to, you know, it's important for your margin, <laughs> for the, the the product that the landlord's given you, you have to add value to, to get your margin. So for us, that's normally painting and decorating, putting new furniture in and dressing it really nicely, and then giving that service to our tenants. The properties that we're buying Adding value for me is adding a room, adding on suites or adding an extension to literally add value to the end price of it. There's two very distinct ways there, which again, I think is really important for people coming in to realise that it's not cookie cutter. You've got to know your strategy and you've got to know where you're, how you're financing it and where you're going long term. And you mentioned that you work with investors where you build them portfolios, I think in a way, but you're doing it together. Do many of them know anything about property or are you just in control of it all for them? There's different people have different wants and needs. <laughs> so I think there are some investors who want to be really hands-on on the project. But one of the main guys I'm working with right now has a really good IT job, is paid really well, but has an interest in property and has a want to build wealth and build something for his children. And he wants to build assets, but doesn't have the time. No. So I'm helping with that. And that must be rather fun. And how do you find your clients like that? Do you just stumble upon them? Do they find you or is it because you're networking? Because I know you're a huge networker. Yes, there's uh, networking is so important. And the, the investor I'm working with now, I met two years ago and haven't seen much, but we've popped up at similar networking events. And eventually they reached out to me and said, I've seen what you're doing. I've se- I've seen you. Let's work together. I'm ready to do this. So I think it's important to network. Networking is a really long game. You rarely do yeah. business on the first meeting. And it's about showing what you do. So p- whether it's posting on social media or just keeping a little bit simmering in the background just to show I am doing this. I think people do, to use a bad word, stalk you, don't they, in the property? 
Um, they want to see, because it's very easy to pop up somewhere and go, this is me, aren't I amazing? But actually you're not. So it's the people who want to work with you. They watch long term and they see different things and they can make, they've got to do diligence on you for a start, haven't they? Yeah. And that's so important because you can totally lie on social media. You can say anything <laughs> you like. And I see people telling people, you know, I've got this portfolio and I do this and I've got all these businesses and it's like, no, you don't. <laughs> so it's really important to look at what people are doing and, and, and see if it's actually real and see if they're doing what they say they're doing. Because you've been doing this now for a while. How do you fit your children in around it? Because this is the other thing. People are inclined to go, if you're going to do property, you've got to be 100% property. Well, I do because I have other businesses and my children have always grown up with me doing this. But how do you fit yours in? I think it can be super flexible. I think when we were first building the business and taking on all these HMOs, it was quite, it took a lot of time and late nights and building flat pack furniture myself and doing whatever I needed to do. Oh, but now I delegate. I'm so aware of anyone who can do flat pack. For, for, I mean, at the sight of an Allen key sends me into a sweat. <laughs> it's quite satisfying the first time. And then after that, it's just, especially if you're doing a five or six bedroom house and they all have the same furniture you need to build. Um, but no, I think it can be really flexible. I think you can do it around your family. That's one of the values that's really important to me because I've got young kids. So I found it really good, actually. That's fantastic. Because the, you know, the, the temptation is to throw yourself enthusiastically in and then you know, p- people get families get very bored of, of people doing property because you're always away. And you're always the other thing that people do is go, oh, I've got to spend every weekend away on a course to learn how to do this. And so again, family somehow gets squeezed out, but that is something that you can Yeah, I think any anything you're really serious about you have to invest time into, you have to invest money into, as we said at the start. So yeah. there'll be a sacrifice at some point. And I think the first 12 months of any business are really difficult. But if you do work really hard and set up those systems and processes and then have a pipeline and delegate, then it does start to pay off eventually. And so presumably you came into that knowing that's what had to happen because you'd had businesses before. Are you a great fan of particular software or are you an Excel and a pencil girl? I do love a spreadsheet, but I started using Coho quite early in my business. They actually started a similar time to me. So they're only two or three years old, but they are a specialist HMO software. And they're really user-friendly, really dynamic, and they just keep adding to it. And they're really good at networking as well. So they take a lot of feedback and put it into place. And it's it's really, really good. I really rate it. So you presumably you started off, it was just you. Do you have staff now working with you? So my husband and I are the main team. We've always been a good team since Indonesia, basically. He's more practical. I'm more business, network, sales, admin, negotiator. We took on a part-time staff member last year who's now full-time. He does all of our lettings for us. So every time a broom comes up, he will market it, do all the viewings, the referencing, the tenancy agreement, and be their first port of call, which gave me so much time back, honestly. Oh, I think it did because am I, I mean, as I say, I don't do my tenants because I, you know, that's not my skill set. It's just I always used to find tenants had a burning desire to talk to me at two in the morning. (laughs) Ours aren't too bad, but luckily Coho has a messaging feature. So we don't have any WhatsApp groups. I won't give anyone my number. They can message within the app and that comes to all of the team and our lettings manager will generally deal with that. And then we've also got a handyman who's self-employed, but he does one day a week for us. 
So again, we collect right. all the maintenance jobs, pass them to him, and he's there regularly. Yes, and, and presumably nothing really is a national emergency, is it? There's always a an easy timeline to get things done. Yeah, we have the odd sort of locksmith needed or leak that needs seeing to, but most things are not very urgent. Touch wood. No. Are, are you a great fan talking about keys of having a master key system? This is and this is another HMO sort of myth and wonder, isn't it? You know, whether everything should be the same or whether each house has to be different or how do you do it? Well, we yes, we ha- we do have a master key system. So I have two keys. One is an internal key, one is an external key, and I can go into any house with them. And then yeah, each front door is the next on a set of front door keys and each internal door is the next on a set of internal keys and we use the same supplier and it works really well. It is, but it, it does sound slightly magical if you've never encountered this before, doesn't it? Mm. It is magical and I, I'm really glad I'm not carrying a hundred keys around with me. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that you can get a, a replacement cut relatively simply and easily and, and carry on. <laughs> HMOs, they are very specific. Are you are you going to branch out perhaps when you're you've made more money out of it and think, right, I'll just do a bit of single lets where I can just forget them? Because I always think of single lets as my cash cows. Mm-hmm. I forget all about them and they do their own thing. Is that a plan in the future? Yes, definitely. We we saw one recently actually near where we live, which is quite cheap. It had a bit of subsidence, but that's now been fixed. <laughs> and um, this little old lady's just looking to get rid of it as quickly as possible. So we we viewed that last week and we're looking at that one as a possible buy to let. I do like HMOs. When I started off, I suddenly joined this property world and learned, you know, you start hearing all these things about SA and flip and commercial to residential. And I, at the moment, I'm keeping my eye on the SAs because it's not something that interests me because I've had guests before and I don't want guests but also the legislation that's coming in, that's just come in in Scotland, that's coming down. And, you know, I want to see what happens with that. With HMOs, we know what's required. We know our, you know, health and safety and our legislation and our council standards. It's black and white. I can put my tenants in and that's my income now, you know, for the next few years. Yes, because of course, service accommodation is getting tricky in some areas. I mean, I'm coastal, just in from the coast, and parish councils are starting to go, right, anything new coming up will not get service accommodation or holiday lets at all, because we need proper homes for people who need homes, not holidays. And that will be a problem, particularly for those people who've built their whole empires on the concept of the holiday, isn't it? Yes. Not going to affect you. Yes. I mean, I think people are now starting to make service accommodation more fire compliant. I think they're looking at HMOs and thinking... That in itself sends shivers down the spine, doesn't it? How can you rent out a property that is not fire compliant? Yeah, with the exits and things like that, fire escapes, yeah. Yes, but yes, and they've got to, um, you know, you, you want to, presumably, if you're having holidays, want to be in, in an area that's thriving and it's got pubs and it's got shops <laughs> and all the other things. So I would think HMOs, they may be more unpopular, both with property investors who see the returns you can get from SA, which are great, aren't they? And with the general public. But HMOs are something that's here to stay. It's a long-term Yeah, there's definitely always going to be a need for them. 
And it's it's a good niche to have. If you know a bit about HMOs, you know quite a lot more than most people. So I think it's a it's a good niche to have and I can I can help investors now and help other people invest in them, which is good. Absolutely. And then you, because you've not, as you say, you've been doing this for how many years? Four? Four, is it? Four, five? Three. Three. Oh, I'd over-egged you. <laughs> and you, one of the things that you have enjoyed about the property world is the networking, because there's quite a lot down near you, isn't there? And then you started, on my right, and thinking you started your own network up as well to meet other people? Yeah, I started a small business network where I used to live, which I've now passed on to someone else. Um, I started the Girls in Property podcast, which is really fun. And yeah, I think networking is really important. Not only does it give you a bit of visibility in your local area, but you do build interesting relationships from it. I've made good friendships from it. I've got, you know, finance brokers and just lots of interesting people that have come out of it. Yes. And if it's open and people can join and find you, then it's easier than going, right, this is what I've got to do. Where do I find all these different people? Because you can't find the ones that you really need. But unfortunately, networking is one of those things that you have to just keep regularly going to, isn't it? And not every single meeting will will bear fruit. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the investor I'm working with at the moment, I met two years ago and have seen on and off since then, just to say hi to, have a brief conversation with. And then it was recently have a coffee, have a meeting, let's work together. So it really does pay off if you can go and be consistent and just send one message, I would say, each time you go to say, hey, I'm the HMO person. I love HMOs. Talk to me about HMOs. <laughs> and and um, this is a podcast, so no one can see the fact that you're actually beaming as you said that. You know, This is definitely your your thing and you just absolutely adore it. But it is also, well, let's go back to the fact that it's a business. We talked about your app that you work with. Systems, terribly important, but oh, so dull. Um, you know, <laughs> how do you get around when you're working with people, getting them to understand that system is like learning to work and to walk? Once you've you've worked out how to do it, it's something you do automatically. I think using something like Coho, which is so user friendly, I've used past property software systems, and it's really clunky, and it's like a chore using them. So it's nice to have yep. a sort of really user-designed, user-friendly one to use. And that really covers maintenance stuff, messaging, compliance, onboarding of tenants, tenancy agreements rolled into one. So it's really, really good. The only other thing I use is zero for my accounting, really. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, how anyone survives without that or QuickBooks is a mystery. When I started, it was quill and paper you know we used to do double entry bookkeeping yes and that was quite a no it was quite a challenge i am a qualified bookkeeper but even so because there are so many if buts and maybes and within one portfolio you could have things that went under different tax regimes and vat numbers and everything else and i'd be going oh no i want to go and just build or do and things like that but what was the first task that you delegated well the guy who works for us now started part-time. And before that, he was just a networking connection who said, really interested in what you're doing. I'd really like to work for you. So when we took a, when we finally took a holiday after about a year and a half, uh, I said to him, look, do you want to be my master key holder? And he said, yeah, because you know when a tenant reports something, we always go and check it first to make sure it is actually what they're saying. And he actually solved some tricky problems for us. So we had one HMO that was kind of had quite a lot of fire compliance. It had a whole fire panel and that started going off and the key was missing and the code, no one knew the code. And he ended up turning off at the fuse, calling the manufacturer. 
then realizing, okay, it's off at the fuse. We've got no fire alarms. So I have to solve this quickly. So he got a new code, went to source a new key, got the new key and uh, was updating me when I got back. And I just thought, this is the attitude we want. I can teach you what we do and the processes, but you've got a really good problem solving attitude. So he started part-time as our lettings person, basically doing viewings. Because for every room we let, we have at least 10 viewings. And that's a lot of time if you add them up. That's a lot of time, yes. Because we want good tenants. So we we do a lot of viewings. We really thoroughly reference them. And we hopefully create a good household. But it is quite time consuming. So that was really nice to delegate. So that then gives you more time to go and source more buildings to work with more people. Exactly, yeah. And are you expanding your area or are you staying very much in the Southampton Bowl area? Yeah, I've expanded to Bournemouth. So we've got a couple of properties in Bournemouth now. We've just picked up one in Portsmouth as well. So yes. (laughs) But we're still talking seaside, aren't we? Yes, yes. Still the same sort of area. Yes. And that that can only get can only get better because those sorts of areas are so enormously popular across the board, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Busy, high demand, Article 4, lots happening. So are you able to do, are you looking with great interest at what's coming through the government at the moment with the white papers and what they potentially are going to do? Are you thinking this is going to be a fun time to really get buying or are you starting to buy earlier than that? I'm keeping my eye on it. It seems to be taking quite a long time to come through. And there's, you know, there's always, the cabinet's just changed. The ministers keep changing. There's going to be an election at some point. So you never really know what's going to happen. But I'm just keeping a really close eye on it. How about you? Well, I'm, I've got several leasehold things that I'm waiting to see what's going to happen. So, um, you know, but it won't happen fast. Yeah. It's unfortunately, these things never do. But I do think we're going into a period when more people will be buying again, purely because we've been sitting on cash deposits for ages. And everyone, and once the interest rates went up, everyone sort of went, right, it's all going to happen now. But of course, it never does because you've got to wait for people to fall off their very low mortgages when they've overextended before they start to realize that it's a problem. So it will start to happen and there will be more. I would think more rent-to-rent opportunities coming up. Um, from that, uh, Potentially, absolutely. But one, you also, as you said, you mentioned very briefly, you um, you set up your own podcast. Yeah. Was that great fun? I mean, I have enormous fun with mine. But, you know, what suddenly made you think, hmm, a podcast? You weren't tempted to YouTube because this, again, is something, it's a thing that property investors all get told. You know, if you're serious about this, you've got to YouTube. Um, I don't know what made me podcast. I think I, oh, I really enjoyed listening to podcasts. There's one called Girls That Invest, which is two New Zealand girls. And they're just chatting. They're just two friends chatting about stock market, how to invest, what to invest in, making it kind of more realistic, saying you don't have to be a broker in the middle of the city shouting to invest. You can actually do it on an app with a few quid. And just listening to them having a normal chat about it made me think, actually, I'd quite like to do that for girls in property. So I got a couple of friends involved. And what I really wanted to show was, you know, it has been quite a male-dominated field. Women are smashing it. There's space for everyone here. And if you're a young woman, you can get into it because you can do anything you want to do. And I wanted to showcase some women doing good things. So we spoke to a developer. We've interviewed an architect just loads of interesting people, you know, a big agent in London. We've got, you know, social media people and just 
women doing interesting things and men doing interesting things because we can all learn from each other. <laughs> but um, just to have a chat, just to be really normal about it, talk about property disasters because that happens as well. I was going to say, well, one of the things that I'm interested in is have you had any disasters? Because it is weird what people perceive as a disaster. But if you're in property, you will have them. Yes. I think one of my biggest learnings from year one was cash flow. We do take on a lot of properties that need renovation. That's the business yep. model. But one of them was so bad. It was a seven bed and you could walk in and it smelled really bad. It was dark and I don't know how people were living there. So we kind of costed it up. I thought we're going to need about 10 grand for this one, actually. New kitchen, new bathroom, paint and decorate, etc. And uh, put the proposal to the landlord. They said, yes. And then I thought, I don't have 10 grand. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What do I do now? So I had to find it. And, you know, I think everyone who's been in the property for a few years ends up finding finance somewhere, whether it's a loan, a mortgage, private investment, you know, you always run out of money. You just do. (laughs) So that is a given fact. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I got two loans of £5,000 from family, friends, business acquaintances, I said, I'll give you back five and a half grand in 10 months and then we could do the project. Uh, but it was quite a scary time with the cash flow. <laughs> and since then, I've now got a weekly cash flow spreadsheet, which uh, just shows me my forecast into the future. And if I have a project, I'll pop it in there and see if it's possible. And if the spreadsheet says no, then I need to go and find some more funding. Yes, that is an enormously practical thing to do. And yet so many people don't do it. I, I regularly see people's portfolios and I'm doing um, big days with them. And where's your cash flow? And there's this slight silence. And then they go, well, it's not very interesting. And I go, well, that's beside the point. And then, of course, it boils down to the fact that that's not something they do. They just view money coming into the one account as the cash flow that they can use. And quite often you end up spending it twice if you do that. Yeah. So it is a big worry. So that was something you did. What one other thing did you find quite a worry when you first started? Because the thing about kindness properties, it doesn't come with a danger sign, does it? I think what I um, always tell people to do is market research because I'm, I'm on Instagram a lot. I get lots of messages asking how to start. And I always say market research because it's just not going to work without it. And what I'm really happy I did was look at my areas versus other areas, look at the demand, the supply, the competition, and kind of kick off my business based on that. Because once you've got that confidence, I knew that if I got HMOs in Southampton, there would be strong demand for it. So I think that could have been a worry if I hadn't done that, you know, to build a product that's good. And And so how how did you start your research there? Because when I first bought my first property, I was living in the Salisbury Plain area. And in fact, I went to one of the very first pins in Southampton when they were literally just starting yeah. up and everybody just went, we, the trouble is with properties, you can't really research it. And there, you know, obviously that's not true. Yeah. There's loads of ways. For HMOs, it's, it's honestly just go on spareroom.com. And what I tell people to do is go on spareroom.com and choose your area and two other areas, start a spreadsheet fill this in for two weeks and every day for each of the three areas, look at how many rooms there are, look at how many people are looking and look at the average rent for a postcode in that area. And then you've got some really nice data, which will show clearly show you the supply and demand in three areas and the average rent. 
And you can also delve into the adverts and see what the quality of rooms is like. And you can think, if I can do a little bit better than this, then I can do well. Yes, but you haven't got to be gold-plated, have you? You've just got to be better than your competitors. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of people doing amazing things on social media with you know, incredible rooms and interior design, and they really are the top you know, 5% of the offering, which is amazing. But if you can give a product that's clean, comfortable, safe, you've put thought into it, I think that's really valuable as well. Yes. I mean, my, my student HMAs are very, because they're in Stoke, they are geared at the lower income student. Yeah. You know, the students from Kiel, which is the same city, but across the way, they expect far more and they pay more. But, you know, my students... They're keen to get away from mummy and daddy, but they don't, as long as it's clean, it's tidy, it, it's well painted, but it's not funky. You know, it, it's, it does what it needs to do. It means they can afford it. Again, and that was something I very, very carefully aimed at. So I think it's know your niche within your niche, isn't it? Definitely. And know your numbers. We always work on quite conservative numbers to, to start with. And then when we put the rooms on the market, we'll put the rent up a little bit from what we've put on the bottom line and hopefully the margins will improve but we always go with a really conservative start point so that you can only go up from there. Yes and you've already got a very clear idea about what is your ideal tenant and you're not having to just fill it <laughs> your houses with also rands because you've overpriced it or you've got you're in the wrong area. And so how did you find that you know you you were able to go straight and to get rent to rent work for you because you're with a franchise. But presumably, you know, you're you're working with people now who do rent to rents just off their own bat. So they've got to find the right solicitors and things like that, haven't they? Have you found that a problem or do you just find them everywhere, these wonderful solicitors? Because I was talking to one this morning who was going, no, it's quite specialised. <laughs> well, wait, that's the benefit is being part of a franchise that I came into a business model where they've they've included all the agreements, they've got a solicitor and accountant. So that was a really nice <laughs> starting point where I could just get into it and they just kind of catapulted me in my first year by having this business model that already works, a marketing strategy that is already proven. And so all you had to do, and this I have to say the word only, <laughs> yeah. the word only, you had to implement your knowledge and your your learnings. And that is where most people go wrong, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. I mean, what we're doing within this franchise is not secret. You know, it's not the only way of doing it. Lots of renter-renters do similar things, but you're right. You have to put the work in. You really have to work hard at it and do consistent marketing, have a pipeline going, go networking, speak to agents and just keep doing it over and over again. There is a lot of rejection. You do need to be resilient. <laughs> oh, oh, I haven't mentioned the rejection word. In I think that is one of the key things people in property have to learn to do. And that is that they come up with these amazing schemes, but 90% of the time, the vendor or an agent will say no. Is it? Yes. <laughs> they will. But the yeses are so valuable. If you think of a rent to rent deal, it's generally a five year contract and you're hoping to make 500 quid a month per property. So if you spread that out over five years and then you look at multiple properties, it's, you know, it's a great business model. So you do work for those yeses because the yeses are so worth it in the end. Yes. And looking back now over your, your time already, what is the one thing that you think made a key difference to you 
and how successful you are? Good question. (laughs) I think, you know, I think what we were talking about earlier, the mix of skills that you get from running a business. Yeah. And just the drive. I like to, I think I'm a high achiever and like to do well. So I just had to, you know, when I started this business, I was on a furlough payment, which was going to end in redundancy from my previous job. So I knew I had three months to get my basic income back again. So for me, that was three properties. I had to get three properties in three months. So I really started quickly marketing and doing all the things in the marketing strategy. And I got my three in three months. But that also really kicked off my pipeline, which ended up with nine in the first year. So I think the trajectory you start on and the sort of drive and determination and motivation, just have to keep going and have a bit of a long-term view on it because it does take, it's not do a deal, get paid the next day. It's start working on a deal, maybe view a house, put an offer in. If you're buying, it takes even longer. But again, it's the long-term payoff that, that is makes it all worth it. Let's have a little go at this whole property thing. How difficult can it be? Ha ha. But you've already sort of articulated the fact that this is a long-term thing. It's five years minimum for each of those agreements that you've got. So you've already committed yourself. And then after that, if you own stuff, that's simpler because you can actually walk away from stuff and get someone else to do it. But it is about knowing this is not not just a fly-by-night idea, but secondly, it is about consistency and having enthusiasm, which I think you've got in, in this sort of sparrow full, haven't you? Yes, I do enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think has been your worst nightmare? Um, I think it probably was the, the cash flow in the first year and learning to manage that properly. Because I think a lot of people with small businesses, as you say, the money comes in, the money comes out. That's the cash flow. It's fine. I've got a bit left yeah. at the end of the day. And in Indonesia, our business kind of ticked along like that. And then we sold it at the end. But I think in property, there's even more moving parts. And because each project takes a long time, you're putting money in and you're getting it out slowly, but over a long time. So I think financial stress is one of the worst stresses that you can have because it makes you really worry. You know, I've got a family, I've got bills to pay. So there were times in that first year where I was really stressed about it. So I think, you know, having built the business to have, to give me that foundation and to have the cash flow spreadsheet <laughs> just helps me sleep at and night. To know, and, to know you've got to, and to know you've got to pay yourself, which is something that not everyone seems to realise. Yeah. This, yeah. That you do have to do that. Yeah. So you're, yes, that possibly is everyone's worst nightmare. And it's one that most people don't see. They, they see the property problem. They don't see the business problem. Um, they exist side by side, don't they? So where do you think you're going to be in 15 or 20 years' time? <laughs> well, I hope to build this business. The the rent-to-rent business, I'm aiming for about 30 houses and to have the systems, processes and staff in place so that it ticks along. Yep. Easier said than done. And then just to be sort of portfolio building for me and other people. In the HMO world, I'm on this mission to raise the standard of HMOs. And yeah. I think that's it. But really to focus. Um, I did quite a lot of projects last year. So I want to just keep focusing on HMOs for me, HMOs for other people and raising the standard. Well, that's a very good um, idea to keep going on, really, isn't it? Thank you so much, Sophie, for sparing time because clearly you've got a packed packed life and you've got a snatch little moments here and there and for coming and joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to The Property Solopreneur with me, Rachel Troughton. 
If you've enjoyed this episode, do hit subscribe and kindly leave a review and share this podcast with anyone you think it would help on their property journey. If you'd like to get hold of my guide for building a successful property business, go to racheltroughton.com forward slash checklist. We only live one life. So let's get your dream a reality through building a profitable property business. If you found my stories inspiring and my content useful, then come find out more about my mentoring and strategy sessions by going to www.racheltroughton.com and book a discovery call with me. The banner link is on every page. Come and create and grow your own property business. That's the shortcut to success.